Good morning, church. My name is Javita Dennis, and I'm a proud member of the University City Community Group, where we invite you, especially our new members, to join. We have um, children ages 2 to 22, and ladies, we often have a nightly fellowship like we had last night, so we would like to encourage you to join us. I will be reading this morning from Psalm 6 and reading the New Living Translation Version. O Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Go away all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sister Dennis. I'm not I'm slightly biased. I think the north side is the best side, but uh, <laughs> Charlotte, uh, certainly those of you who are available to accept her invitation to join that community group, we certainly encourage you to do so. My name is Omari Hill. For those of you who are guests with us this morning, I'm the visiting pastor here, Christ Central. And um, let me just say that even with this scripture that we've heard read this morning, I was reminded Um, As we were sitting here and listening to updates and praising God together in song that um, things such as what we're going through now, this uh, pastoral um, search, as transitions can be rough, right? And um, there are things that at first we might get really excited about it and go, oh man, yeah, something new is happening. And, And whether it's like waiting for a new pastor or you're starting a new job or you've got like I don't know, like you're about to get a a new treat or something like that, some new ice cream, whatever, right? It's like, okay, yeah, this is great. But then once you kind of get into that process and you realize, wait, this might take a little bit, then other things, other emotions start coming to the surface. And what do we do with that? What do we do with emotions that we have that may be uncomfortable, things that we might not want to recognize because um, they're just too troubling? And I, I think... I just want to encourage us all this morning, even as we, uh, as a family here at Christ Central, are dealing with our own transition, to remember the faithfulness of God as we are dealing with our own troubling emotions. And that is my, my word of encouragement to us this morning as we dig into this text, that we remember that we have a God who is faithful, even when we are struggling with troubling emotions. Uh, and we all know that mental health is a serious issue in our country, uh, and for many of us, it's a serious issue in our own personal lives. It's certainly worth all the, the money and uh, the, the manpower that we put into research and into treatment, certainly. Uh, and when I speak about mental health, I'm talking about our emotional health. Right? So uh, mentioning, mentioning these troubling emotions that we all go through, but then also how do we develop uh, a posture or an attitude of resilience? How do we make our heart stronger as we face the inevitable trials of life? And again, as we turn to the character of God, what is it that we learn as we see him? I mean, mental health is continuing to be an issue for all of us, regardless of where we might be on the spectrum. It's some of us have uh, official uh, diagnoses from uh, the DSM. Uh, we have family members who have been diagnosed. 
And then others of us, it's just, you know, the regular blues. Even today, maybe some of you have come in here this morning and uh, you were grateful for the sunshine, but not grateful for the overcast, right? So, and all the clouds. And then already for some, uh, uh, some kind of seasonal affective disorder may be setting in. We also need to look no further than uh, some of the national events of this past year to realize that mental health is an issue that we need to address. I think of how um, all the sources are saying now, just after COVID had hit us and hit this country and hit the entire world, how there's been a shortage of mental health professionals available to help our children and teenagers, a shortage, right? So, you know, there's like, we can't fill the therapist chair quickly enough um, to address the needs of the mental health issues of our youth. And I recently read a New York Times article that talked about how uh, on days when temperatures exceed 70 degrees, this is, this is weird, I, just, I, I didn't even think of this, you know, but I'd never heard this before. On days when temperatures exceed 70 degrees, Americans are more likely to feel reduced joy and happiness as well as increased stress, anger, and fatigue. Now I think some of that is contextual because if, if it exceeds 70 degrees, and you're on a beach in the Caribbean, like, I might be a little bit different, right? In a resort, something like that, you know, that's a little, I think your joy is probably gonna go up a little bit, but um, that was an, an article that I read recently. But we all, all this just to say that we can't ignore the mental health issues that are pressing on us, pressing in on us, pressing in on our homes, and pressing in on our families. We can't just think that this whole idea, this whole, practice, if you will, of emotional resilience is just something that's just going to happen. Like, it's just going to happen overnight. You know, if we just wish the pain away, uh, we'll become resilient people. No, something has to be done. And when you read the scriptures, you don't find this sort of like a naive attitude about mental health issues. But it is very realistic about what we all struggle with. But I think because of the cultural norms and the false conceptions of what it means to really prosper as a Christian, right? Um, that people in the church who struggle with troubling emotions often have to do so in silence and isolation. And that should not be in the church, right? Well, I mean, this, this ought to be the, the first place where people who are burdened by troubling emotions can come to for help and for shelter. And I think this, this text is challenging us to do what uh, the author and, and, and pastor, Pete Scazzaro, calls become an emotionally healthy church, right? And uh, the old preachers used to say this. They used to say that there are three kinds of people in here today, right? Those who are in a storm, those who are about to go in, or those who are coming out, right? So, so storms are a natural part of life, and we're, we're, we're all facing them whether we like it or not, right? And so what are we going to do about it? I mean, the storms of life are common on this side of glory. So, um, therefore, we ought not to be ashamed of it. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. We should be, we should be able to come out and, and be public about our struggles with others, people that we trust, and certainly be present and real with the Lord. Because there will be times when we're able to bounce back from our troubles, no doubt. Right? There's, certain, there's a certain spectrum of resilience there, if you will. And there are many times when there's, we face deep disappointment and depression that seems to take a hold of our hearts, and we just can't shake it off. And for those times, we need to know that we can actually grieve and do so with hope. That we are allowed to grieve, that we are encouraged to grieve. Indeed, it is a part of our design that we would grieve and do so with hope, and we need to know that there's comfort. And the scriptures are not clueless about the emotional trials that you and I face in life. They, you know, they, they come, um, the, the, the trials that each of us face in, in just living in this broken world, this world that isn't perfect. And this psalm gives us some help. We're reminded that during the trials of life, during, even during times of despair, that we can be comforted by God's devotion to us. And the psalmist here in this text, he's clearly in despair, right? And his enemies are claiming that God has abandoned him, 
But at some point, God reassures this psalmist um, that he is a God of love, right? And that his love is strong and is there for him and that, the, and that God will restore him. He's reminded of this and it encourages him. It strengthens him. It strengthens his faith. He experiences God's devotion to him as he is reminded of two particular things that I want to share with us this morning, which is one, that God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers. I know that's a simple point, but how often we forget it, that God is listening. God is near. God hears our prayers. And secondly, that God has overcome the world. Wow, do we need to understand and believe that. So how do we know that, that God has heard this psalmist, who we're told is actually Israel's king. This is David. Well, so if you look again with me at verses 8 through 9. Just remember it now. I need reading glasses now. So, so my mom's back there. She might be laughing at me right now. <laughs> um, so ver- verses, eight, verses 8 and 9, uh, he says this. This is the psalmist, right? This is David. He says, go away. All you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. Right? So how do we know that this psalmist knows that God hears him? He confesses it. He says it. Now, we don't know the circumstances. We don't know how um, God made himself known to David in this instance. Um, But somehow he did. Right? And we're not even told what caused David's depression what he was struggling with, how he got there. But God answered him. God answered him. I remember um, one of my own personal struggles in the past where particularly when I lost my dad, and as frustrating and as terrible and as earth-shattering as that was, I was never alone because I had, I had friends that were around me who were const- constantly just sitting with me in my grief, even when I had no tears to cry, and all I had was just frustration and like a deep sigh. They were there to hear me, right? And these, are, these were people who were present with me in my grief and would constantly lift me up to the Lord in prayer. I knew they were praying for me. And then consistently entering into the sanctuary of God, where over and over again I heard the gospel preached and saw it reenacted at his table. Like I, it was these things that the Lord used to remind me that he was there that he had not left me. He used the hands and the feet of my friends to to keep me in a solid place while my whole world seemed to be falling apart. And then as I saw and heard the gospel reenacted over and over again and seeing it in in the assembly of God's people, it began to to strengthen me and to give me uh, a place on which to stand so that I could keep walking forward. So these are different ways that I think that God shows us, right, that, um, that he's there, that he's listening, that he answers us in the midst of, our, uh, of troubling emotions. But again, so I don't know exactly what happened for David so that he was encouraged, but maybe it was something along those lines. Now, you know, this, the, the, this whole idea of David being encouraged in that moment, or what I just shared with you about my own story could give you like a great sort of mental lift as you think about it. You're like, oh, that's awesome. You know, somebody else has been through it. They've been through dark times. They've been encouraged. Um, but if that's, if that's all we had were just like inspiring stories from other people, it would still, what does that do for uh, how, how we're feeling, how you may be feeling right now or, or how you will feel in the future as you're going through troubling times? Well, we're giving more. We're giving more from this text. See, if, if the Hebrew scriptures are the inspired word of God, which they are, and David expected this song, um, you know, to go out among his people so that they could sing it too, then uh, we, we should understand that what we have before us today was given to us by God himself, right? It wasn't just for David and his people, but it was for us today, right? Which means that Um, that God wants us to have this psalm to help us to shape our own prayers as we're going through troubling times, right? God himself authorizes us to believe, to actually believe that he will answer our cries of despair. We can pray this just like David prays it. 
We've been given authority to do so. Remember, some of us are uncomfortable with crying, right? And I don't mean that necessarily physically and that sort of thing, like, what is this strange substance coming out of my eye? You know, that, that sort of deal. But, but, but sort of like, you know, just, just expressing your grief, however that might look, right, for, for each of us. We're each different, and we have different temperaments. But some of us may be uncomfortable with just being in touch with our grief. Because when it comes, these troubling emotions come, we just, it, it's too much. Man, I got stuff to do. I can't be looking around and getting in touch with myself and getting connected with my spirit and all that kind of stuff. I got bills to pay. I got projects to do at work. I got schoolwork to finish. I got um, people to, mouths to feed. And don't you know there are other people out there who are struggling too? I got, I got all kinds of stuff to do. So what, I don't, I just want to just move on from this, okay? So what if this person that I cared about so much just betrayed me. Like, I, you know what? Forget about that. I just need to move on and move on with my life. Tough it out. Get tough, right? And I just want to be done, but not so fast. Because I want us to notice something from this text. Notice how most of this psalm, if you look at it, dwells on our need while dedicating less words to the songwriter's relief. So if you look at it, what you'll see is basically the first seven verses focus on, the, on David's need. And then just the last few deal with the relief. That should tell you something. That, like, that getting in touch with what we need is important. Right? The, the, psalm, the, the, the structure of the song itself is teaching us that. I mean, it's something like 70% of this is just spent on the struggle. And then finally, the relief at the end. But we just want to get through it real quick. And of course, we hear it over and over again, how we live in an instant culture. And we're so used to getting what we, what we can get. It is you know, super convenient. You know, even in my own office, I got a microwave sitting right there. You get the Keurig. And you know, the Keurig is like, that's not real coffee. But you know, I mean, you know, whatever. But, but sometimes you're in a hurry. And you just kind of like, you know, you put it in real quick and get what you need. But so, but we have everything, it's, it's right there at our fingertips. But so, but how is it that we've come to the place where we think that we're going to get instant relief when we're grieving? That's not possible, right? Because we're humans. The heart is not a curing machine, right? It's just surprise, uh, right? It's like we, we need time. We need time to heal. We need time to wrestle with those things that trouble us. And this psalm is instructing us to do that, but to also remember that as we do so, our God is listening. Our God hears our prayers. Right? Some of us are struggling because we've isolated ourselves from the Lord. We just thought like, a, you know, I mean, aren't I a big girl now? You know, I don't need to trouble my heavenly father. I don't need to trouble daddy with this stuff. You know, he's just going to get mad and say, just toughen it up. Dry, dry your tears. Move on. You're a big girl now. You're a big boy. What are you doing? Hey, so maybe there's some script that is running within our hearts that maybe we got from our families of origin that play a part in how we are re responding to God or how we relate to God in the midst of our, of our tears, in the midst of our grief. We need help to get through that. That in and of itself needs to be touched by the Lord so that we can be healed, so that we can at least be free to grieve with hope in the presence of God. Jesus once pleaded with Jerusalem, and by Jerusalem, he was pleading with his people, with us, and he said, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. God longs to care for us. Where do we get this idea that, you know, what God requires of Christians or people who have it all together right, and can just move along and get along and not come to God in weakness when Jesus himself says that he longs to gather us as a hen longs to gather her chicks. We're invited by the Lord to in the midst of these, of our grief to journal it out if you have to, right? Just as you pray it out. 
Whichever way that you find is best for you. I know that some people who are more, some of you are more extroverted, maybe like going for a walk and that sort of deal, getting on your bike, going for a run, that sort of deal, and, you know, being active. Like that, that might be more your thing, right? Great, do that, right? But do it. Do that and go for a run, speak, talk to Jesus. Let him know what is, what, is, what is holding you down. Let him know what is on your heart. He is ready and willing to embrace you. And then those of us who, like, like myself, are a little bit more introverted, yeah, maybe you need like a quiet corner or something like that to, to journal. Maybe you don't go into the woods to go for a hike, but you're, like, you're going there to sit down somewhere. And that, that, you know, that's fine. But find out like what sort of, me- whatever method, whatever way works for you so that you can get quiet and be in the presence of God and let him know what's troubling you. Do that. Because God invites us to do it. He wants us to do it. And the psalmist invites us to lament to God even when we doubt that God loves us. I mean, there's a certain character to this lament when you look at it, right? It's just you look at, look at how honest and deliberate this, this psalm is. Sometimes the pain of depression can be so bad that you feel like God has abandoned you. Like he doesn't care about you anymore. Like he's turned his back on you. If God loves me and he sees me going through this, then why is he allowing this to drag out? Maybe some of you have already asked this, even though we've just begun the process. Like, where's the new pastor? Come on. Like, wait, it's going to take some time, right? But why is God dragging this out? Doesn't he see that we're grieving? We're without a shepherd. You know, what's going on? Right? Um, I'm drowning in my anguish, and I feel like I'm going to die. David says, how long, O Lord, until you restore me? Do you feel that? Does that resonate with you? Has that resonated with you before in your life? And if it hasn't, one day it will. David expresses his bewilderment and his frustration. And yet he does it with reverence. Verse 5, he says this, For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? Hang on, you think about that. Oh, what, is, what is David talking about here? Why would he mention praising God? Right? Like, if this, this grief, Lord, is taking me, I feel like I'm going to die. But who can praise you from the grave? Why would he mention that to the Lord, even as he is expressing his troubling emotions to him? But David is recognizing this. He's saying, you created me to serve you with this life, God. Right? And, and that is exactly what I want to do. Right? So he's not saying, heal me, God, so that I can get back to living my life, doing me, looking out for number one. Right? As, as we're, we're often tempted to do, right? As you know, how, how many times when we're going through troubling things, you know, it's like, God, if you just get me through this, you know, I'm going to do so-and-so. We make these vows that we can't keep, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, maybe it's just me. It's not y'all. Y'all haven't done that before, but, you know. So, but, you know, you make, make these promises to God, like, yeah, if you just get me through this, I'm going to get right. I'm going to read my Bible every single day for, 30, you know, 30 minutes every morning. And then, um, you know, in the evening, I'm going to have, like, two-hour devotions with my roommates and my kids and all this kind of stuff, and it's going to be awesome, right? And then God gets you through and it's like, burr, burr, right back to the same old thing, same old routines, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Like, what, what happened to that resolve, right? But God is merciful, amen? But, um, you know, but this isn't what David is talking about. He's not saying, heal me so that I can just get back to my business. But he's saying, heal me, Lord, because what I want to do is to continue to serve you. But I'm laid out right now. This thing, whatever it is, has got me. Lord, would you restore me so that I can keep walking with you and keep serving you, even in my weakness? It's it's about this this longing. What David confesses is this longing to bless God with his life. What about us? 
And is that what we long to do? Is to bless God with our lives, no matter what the condition of it might be. Um, you know, after all, Jesus did teach us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? And so that should be the posture of our hearts. Like even when we're struggling, even when we're down in the dirt, help me, O oh God, so that I might continue to praise you, that I might continue to serve you. I mean, friends, I think, I think what that is, I would probably call that kingdom-centered lamenting. That's kingdom-centered lamenting. All right, it's not just, Lord, get me out for myself. But Lord, for your name's sake, restore me, heal me. I think mean, God encourages us to pray honestly, though, and to pray with purpose, and also with perseverance, to not give up to keep praying. And even as I shared earlier with my own story, there may be times in which you find it hard to pray. But man, this is another reason why it's so important to be in community, because then you have others who can lift you up in prayer when you can't pray for yourself. Right? Others that you can lean on and say, I'm having, you know, but just the fact that you can actually go to other people and go, I don't even know if I have the strength to pray this week. And they go, all right, we got you. We got you. That is, you know how amazing that is? You know how many people in this world wish they had that and don't? I think it's so, it's so easy to, to look at the gifts of the church and take them for granted and just forget everything that we have. There's so many people who are languishing and are alone and isolated and wish that they could even just go to one or just two people and go, I can't even pray this week. Will you lift me up? Will you lift me up? And, I, and I'm telling you that, that even that action of finding those friends of yours, whoever they might be, or making some new friends, you know, who are believers, whoever, whoever that might be, just doing that and going, I don't even have the strength to pray this week. That is, a, that is an expression of faith in and of itself. Even that right, is worth doing. That's not nothing. That is an action. And the Lord is pleased with that. Um, so David says... Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. I'm weak. See how he admits, you know, where he is. He admits his condition, right? I don't have it all together, God, right? I'm, I'm weak. And you kind of get the idea that he's been struggling for a long time, whatever it was, right? Because whatever it is that he's been struggling with, it's got him down. Right? So it wasn't just like, oh, something hit him one day and all of a sudden, you know, I'm weak. And he's not just saying, like, I'm weak, like he heard a really good joke, right? That's just, this is different than that, right? He's, he's weak because he's been grieving for a long time. But he still goes to God with that. And if the church is going to be a house of healing, then we need to realize that some of us and some who come to us may be suffering for a while. Which means we need to be patient with one another. Just as God is patient with us, right? God uh, accepts our prayers every single moment of the day. Can we do the same with each other? Now, I know that that's tough. Hey, I know that that's tough to do. Um, some of you who have small children in your home, whether they're your children or not, you know that that's tough, right? You've come home. It's your shelter. You're like, man... I just want to relax. I got some work to do. All of a sudden, ah! You're like, oh, Lord, what is that? Not, not one more. I can't take it. It's <laughs> just like, who is crying? Stop it right now. You know, just like, I cannot do I can't deal with that right now, right? That uh, is difficult. And, and, and for those of you who may not be small children, it might be like your, you know, grown roommate or whoever it is, right? Your, your partner, whoever your partner is. I mean, it's just, you know, they're going through something. And man, it's just, you're like, wow, I don't, I don't have the resources right now to deal with that, to deal with all your griefing. You know, could you take that someplace else? Um, <laughs> Y'all laughing because you know what I'm talking about. So, um, you know, and, and so maybe we've come to a point where we become resistant to other people's tears, right? That's the reality. Let's just go ahead and just name it. Let's say it, right? It, that happens sometimes. We become resistant to grief. The grief of others, our neighbors, even those who are very close to us, those to the, that God himself may have entrusted to us, 
um, this pastor I mentioned earlier, Pete Scazzaro, he tells a story about a man uh, in the church that he used to pastor. It's this multinational church in um, Queens, you know, different ethnicities and such. And so there was this one, um, there's this one black man, member of the church, came up to him, pastor. You know, I shared some hard stuff about issues about being a black man in America and how hard it is, you know, just dealing with things, you know, and especially in this city and it's tough, but man, this brother over here, he just, he just ignored me. He didn't deal with, you know, he, he didn't know how to deal with what I was sharing with him. And he didn't, he didn't hold my grief, right? And you know what Pete says to him? Pete says, I, I know this guy that you're talking about. He's not even emotionally available to his wife, right? So how's he going to handle all these issues of racism and systemic injustice and all the stuff that you're facing, right? So, and, and so, like, this guy has no vocabulary for self-care and certainly no practices for it. He is not in a place to help you. And this is one thing that we need to realize about ourselves. Are we capable? Are we, you doing, are we involved in practices that, are, uh, that, that help us to grow in the way that we care for ourselves so that we can be available for others? Or are we running ourselves ragged day after day, no longer able to be available to others who are hurting? So if you find yourself getting to the point where you're no longer like open to the grief of others, maybe you need to go, okay, hold on, hold on. What have I done to care for myself? Like, what's going on underneath the surface? Like, what, why am I triggered by other people's tears? What is that? Become interested in yourself, right? Become curious about your own story. Like, begin to lean into that and, and take time to do that. It's important because if you don't, right, the, then things like this happen. Well, others are going, man, I expected to get some kind of help, at least an arm or a prayer or something like that, and I just got pushed away, you know? And, man... You know, and then the community breaks down, and then people are like, I don't know about the church, or this person, I thought they believed in Jesus, and, you know, they couldn't even pray for me, or all this kind of stuff. Like, maybe it's because we're not in the habit of doing godly self-care. Are you intentional about receiving kingdom-centered self-care? Practices that free you to love as David himself does for us with this song. Hey, he, he wrote it down. He put it in here, and God made sure that it came to us. He had the courage to do this. This is the king. He put his business out there. If we're caring for ourselves, we'll be free to do the same, to put our business out there in a healthy way so that others can be helped. As we receive help from one another, we come to know that God has heard our prayers and that he has not abandoned us, then we can grieve with hope knowing that God is, in fact, devoted to each and every one of us. We'll also be comforted as we see that God is committed to overcoming the world. Because it's one thing if we're like, hey, all, we're all caring for each other, but we still have these structures and systems of sin, and um, the devil is still out there active, Right? So, like, what's up with that? Um, you know, it's just all the, and, and these, these broken systems that we all live in. Like, if all that stuff is still going on and active and is not being addressed, like, well, that's kind of nice. That I guess we're just kind of helping each other out um, until, you know, until we just die or something like that. Right? But we need to remember and see from this text that God has indeed overcome the world. And by the world, let me just clarify this just a little bit. By the world, right, of course, uh, you know, Scripture talks to us about um, it's not saying our neighbor, right? It's not saying the world is Charlotte. You know, uh, God forbid that this city should become filled with churches that are against this city. Some churches have that posture. Almost kind of want them to disappear. Why? <laughs> because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And so, so it's like, so then his people should have that same 
posture. So we're not talking about that. And Paul says as much. He's a, you know, Paul says, I'm not saying that you should come out of the world, right? That you have to be in it, right? Um, but when we're talking about the world, we're talking about a, uh, we're talking about an imaginary. We're talking about a mindset. We're talking about a heart, a posture, an attitude that is, that exalts anything and everything else above God, whether it's self, an ideology, food, whatever it might be, right? Uh, the devil himself, I mean, just whatever it might be, good things and evil things, whatever it might be, when you're exalting it above God uh, and putting those things in the place of God, okay, then, that's, then that's the world, okay? Um, but to speak of the world in a good sense, we're talking about good wine and daffodils, and we're talking about waterfalls and amazing amusement parks and our natural parks and all these different things that, and, and, of course, other people. Okay? And these are the things that we ought to affirm and to embrace. All that good stuff, right? When God says that he has come to overcome the world, it's not, it's not that he's talking about, right? It's this, it's this system that is set up against him, right? It's set up against exalting him and forgetting that creator-creature distinction. Because God plans to redeem all the good stuff. Like, he certainly plans to redeem all that, right? So don't get it twisted. God is all about new creation, okay? You know, we're, we're not, our future is not to be flying about in the clouds with little, little wings and all that kind of stuff. Like, no. Like, uh, the hope that we have is that one day, Mr. Charles is going to be running all over on, on solid ground in glory, praising God. And when we get there, we'll hear his voice, praising Jesus. That's a real material world that we are looking forward to. Right? Not something that we just kind of just fly through, can't touch it, and we're just kind of doing all this stuff. Like, that's, not, that's not it. Okay? But again, these structures, these schemes, these hopes of the wicked among men and, yes, even angels, are going to be done away with because of what God has proclaimed. And this is good news for us. In the liner notes of this psalm, which we didn't have here on the screen, um, we're, of course, told that the writer is David, and he's the king of Israel. And, 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 and here's, here's the deal. The last thing that you would want to do as a ruler during that time, and even in these times, the last thing you want to do is put your, all your business out in the street like that. You go, oh, I'm weak. I'm struggling. I think my God has abandoned me. What am I going to do? I mean, those, like, those rulers out there who are jealous and want to take what you have, they're going to see that as an opportunity, right? They're like, to come, come in. They're like, all right, look, get the armies lined up. Like, we're taking Israel now, right? And that this is it. Look, their king is down. Like, you don't put all your, all your laundry out there to just to air out in public. It's just not what you do. But David is a king that feels, at least in some place in the psalm, right, here's this, here's this king who feels abandoned by his God, and that makes him vulnerable. That makes him vulnerable. It makes him weak. And yet, David the king talks about his tears. He talks about his grief and how uh, it's, it, 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 it's consuming him because of of uh, the way that he thinks that things are going between him and the Lord because of the circumstances of his life. In the culture of David's day, he was made to feel ashamed for being depressed. Right? And unfortunately, we said earlier, still happens today. I mean, David was hurting. And there was this, there was this system that was in place to kick him while he was down. And our, our society tends to exalt the, the adventurous, risk-taking, strategic, shrewd, all-knowing, self-made, well-put-together man, right? And there's nothing evil about some of those things, except for the self-made part. But some of us are in despair because we can't keep up with being the ideal, successful person. And whatever it is we're engaged in, whatever kind of work, paid or unpaid, our relationships, whatever it might be, like, we can't keep up. 
we realize that, or some of us have realized that from the day we were born, I mean, we, we were almost destined to lose the game. There was no way we were going to win. Now, society has a culture that crushes us under shame rather than to help us flourish and rise with everyone else. It pushes us to rely on ourselves rather than God, even in our most profound moments of despair and weakness. Look to the energy within, right? Or just look to a couple of people beside you. Hey, look, I just argued earlier, that's great. You need to have friends, but man, you know, there are going to be times when they fail you, they haven't been praying. Yeah, I meant to pray, but things got busy and they forgot to do it. Or, you know, they got their own issues going on. Hey, I, you know, I was expecting a phone call like three weeks ago. I haven't heard from anybody. What's going on? But God, again, is always listening. I love social media just as much as the next person. You know, I like, I like the gram. Uh, you know, it's fun. You're flipping through it and seeing different pictures and some of what y'all are doing and um, some of your trips and, you know, going out to, I love, I love all the foodie type stuff that everybody does. It's, it's cool to look at that and see all that. And I kind of just dream like, ooh, yeah, I'd like to go there one day. We'll see. Um, but you all know that there's a shadow side to it, right? You all know there's a shadow side to social media. I mean, man, um, sometimes you can look at the profiles of other people and he creates this impossible standard for you to measure up to. Yeah, because all, all most of us put out there are like all the good stuff, right? It's just never like, you know, um, man, I tried to do so-and-so and I bust my behind this week. You know, just like, guess what? You know, my boss gave me a three out of 10 on my performance review last week. You know, I was like, nobody's Instagramming about that. Like, you know, who put it, you know, <laughs> you don't do that. Um, but, you know, and so, so you think like everybody else has it together, and then, uh, and then with social media, I mean, gosh, we do it. How many of us do it first thing in the morning? Like, I didn't even pray yet. I'm already on there. Poof, you know, my notifications are on. Even if I don't do it, my notifications go on. Pick me up, pick me up. And you go in there, you start looking, and it's the first thing that goes into here and into your heart. It's just the, the images of all these perfect people and the the lives that are so well put together. And it just makes you envy and, oh, I wish I had this and I wish I had that. And discontentment just starts to take root in you. And next thing you know, you can't figure out why you feel bitter. Like, you're just like, why do I feel so bitter and tired? Like, what's going on? Like, I just, I have, I have no idea, right? And then, you know, then like the roommate or spouse or kid comes to you, whether they're like, ah, you know, and you snap, you know, and you're just like, like well, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. Maybe, maybe it might be because I spent too much time, right, comparing myself, like, subconsciously to this impossible standard rather than doing what needs to be done to remember how God sees me and to live out of the truth of that, the truth of God's love. That is what makes us stable. But there's, this, there's some of those things that gives us a false sense of self. And we might think, oh, yeah, if, I, if I, I put these pictures out there and all this kind of stuff, like, that's who I really am. No, it's not. That's not you. There's some pieces of your life, but that's not really you. An untold amount of our neighbors have turned to meth and marijuana, pornography, workaholism, all other kinds of self-medicating things, you name it simply because our culture has made them feel ashamed of their shortcomings, their sins, and their failures. No way to cope with it because everybody else is perfect. We need God to overcome the world. We need God to overcome the enemies of those who mourn. And it, you know, uh, somehow David was reminded that, that this is, is, is God's will for his world. And he's reminding us that this is God's will for ours as well. That, that he has come to overcome it. To overcome it. To take back his rightful place as king over our lives and over our hearts. To restore our dignity. As we heard this morning from our brothers, he reminded us of the mission of our church. 
right, to, and to remember that God will surely do it. That God will conquer all these things that are stacked up against those who recognize their weakness. Isaiah 55, and I love this scripture, this promise. The Lord says, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among the nations, even in his weakness, right? You also will command nations you do not know, and peoples unknown to you will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, murders will, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. It is the promises of God that release us from the chains of our despair. As we remember that he has promised to overcome the world. And God's word cannot fail. Whatever he has promised to do, he will do it. The promises of God release David, and it should release us, to grieve over our world, but grieve with hope. So as God's representative ruler over his people, David's song, right, would, would have had the authority to shape a, to a culture of hope and humility. It, it, it would actually form the people so that, uh, so that something would change in the center of the, the culture of God's people. So not just like as, indi- you wouldn't just have individuals who would say, oh, my hope in God has been restored, but you have a whole culture that would be shaped by that hope. So even as we think about that, what do we envision for Charlotte? Right? Could, could Charlotte become such a place? Could God's people all around become such a city within a city? Now, what could this living hope for our fractured selves do to our city's culture as we bring it into our work in advertising, real estate, government, business, medicine, retail, tech, just to name a few, not to mention our homes, our classrooms, our favorite hangouts. If the hope of God were to infect those places, what could become the culture of our city? We know that Jesus, who is the greater son of David, became the rightful king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that, who left his holy dwelling to be put to shame for the wrongdoing of all who participate in a culture of shaming and posturing. The one who was tortured and taunted for his weakness and daring to live and die for we who hurt others in response to our pain and depression and failure. And when he returns to make all that is sad untrue, we who trust in him will not be abandoned because of our weakness But through it, through that weakness, we will remain the object of God's devoted, never-ending love because his grace for us is strong. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices for yonder breaks, a new and glorious morn. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Therefore, family, let's stop hiding our pain. Let's be honest about it. Let's be honest with each other. Let us arise and go to our Savior together. Grieve in hope, for even if despair should consume you, you feel like you're about to die, you will be delivered into the hands 
that were nailed straight through to heal you and to receive you, reminding you that God is devoted to keeping you now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are the Lord of glory, and you have promised to make us glorious who come to you in faith. God, even in our darkest hours, you know that sometimes we are tempted to walk away from you rather than to run to you. Remind us, Lord, that you are not afraid of our grief, but that you are well acquainted with it, for your son is a man of sorrows. And he bore our sins and our suffering on the cross. He rose victoriously to give us a true and a living hope. So, Father, would you be our anchor today? In spite of the instability that we might feel because of our emotions or the circumstances of our lives, remind us that we can always return to you. For you have never left our side. You are always there. And you mean to keep us, not just in this life, but also in the next. Thank you, God. We cannot praise you enough for your faithfulness, which cannot be shaken by anything, living or dead. So God, we, we ask on behalf of our city that you would bless this place, that you would work through your people to change the culture of Charlotte, surrounding cities, and even counties, that the world would know that there is a God who sits on high but looks down low. Thank you, God, for your promises, which are yes and amen in Jesus our Savior. It is to him that we come this morning with all of our weakness, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen.